All right, welcome back. This is part two of episode 23 of the Loaded Bases podcast. And again, we are joined by WFAN senior content producer Lou DiPietro. Stay tuned. It's been a it's been a crazy season with the Yankees, um, and I think it's it's almost laughable how many players got hurt again after we talked. Um, and we were talking about how they you know had some changes in the training staff or whatever, and then they started out they went sixteen and six, then they went uh, five and fifteen, then they went ten and zero, and now they're kind of limping. I mean, they had a big one last night, but now they're kind of limping into the playoffs, which they've done before. But I just I mean the the season's been a roller coaster to uh, to say the least. But um. Obviously, they went out, they got DeGrom. DeGrom didn't, I'm, what am I saying, DeGrom? They went out and they got Cole, um, and Cole looked good. You know, he didn't look stellar. I mean, if you if you match up his numbers with the first 12 games that he pitched last year, it's actually pretty much the same. If not, he's up, I think, a few more homers this year, but his ERA is actually lower. Um, but, uh, you know, past Tanaka, um, their starting rotation becomes a bit of a question mark. Their bullpen has kind of been, you know, even though everybody in their bullpen is a super solid reliever, um, they, they've been a little bit shaky. So I just, I guess, just to start off, how do you think the Yankees will do in the playoffs, especially in this short series that's going to start this week? And um, who do you think they're going to use as uh, like a reliable number three starter if there is anybody to use? As, as a Yankees fan, before I became a sports writer, and as someone who works in New York and wants as much sports as possible to keep my numbers up, I hope yeah. I'm incorrect on this one. I don't. Oh boy. I would be surprised if. I will be pleasantly surprised if the Yankees get past the divisional series. Wow, and that's a that's a that's a rough take. I'm not going to say they're going to get bounced in the first round because I mean anything can happen, right? And so. You know, they could also win the World Series this year. Who knows? On paper, they're just, it's like you said, they did this and they did that and they're limping in. Are, are they the team that, that went 16-6 and six in their first 22 games? Or are they the team that has 17 wins since in 37? Like, they're 17 and 27. Yeah. Like, are they that? And I know a lot of that but guys have been in and out all season. You know, they lost Severino right away, so they've been the rotation's been weird right away. Are they the team that was dominant the first month of the season, or are they that team that's limping in? And they're they're very much you know it's even being talked about on on the broadcast now, like you know widely. And and you know John and Susan kind of laughed at the notion yesterday. Before you know, when Tyler Wade hit the home run to finally snap that streak of six games without a home run, like of course it would be Tyler Wade because nothing makes sense. <laughs> this is a very home run. This is a very home run centric team. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And I mean, even Aaron Boone the other night when he was asked about it said, "Oh, you know, we were too reliant on stringing hits together." And his his kind of just flippance in those comments kind of kind of irks people a lot. It has irked me too because. You know, he'll say the things like, oh, you know, we want to play home field, but it doesn't matter where we play this and that. It really does. For a team that's as analytically inclined as the Yankees, 
for the manager to go out and say, it doesn't matter where we're playing as long as we're playing our best, this is absolutely, positively a 200 times better team at Yankee Stadium than anywhere else because their team is built with left-handed hitters who have enough power to take advantage of a short porch. I mean, look at the season Brett Gardner had. Look at how Aaron Hicks hits left-handed. And right-handed hitters who can go the opposite way. Look at Aaron Judge. Look at Stanton. Look at LeMahieu. Their game is built for bloop them over the wall. And when they don't do that, for as good of a team as they have, for as, you know, I mean, DJ LeMahieu leads the batting race by like 30 points at this point because Tim Anderson has really struggled the last week. For a team that has these kind of guys, they had, they could feel the lineup the other day that had like seven hitters hitting below 205. Short season or not, when you're 55 games into a season, that's unacceptable. You know, Mm -hmm. that's that's not going to win in the playoffs when, yes, I understand with the way the schedule is this year, you're going to be facing more third, fourth, fifth starters. The bullpen's going to be over. It's not going to be a postseason like any other in terms of, you know, if the Yankees get into a five-game series where they play five days in a row, your choice for game four is, uh, your fourth starter or bullpen it, and your choice for game five is your fifth starter or bring back Garrett Cole on short rest. Like that, there's no days off until the World Series. There's none of that. Yeah, which is crazy. But yeah. So I, so I just want to. Here's the thought. Yeah, continue. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, I was going to say, like, because I, I, I know that the, the, the Yankees didn't make any moves, and we had a conversation on an episode. I think the Yankees should have gone out absolutely and gotten someone like a, a Taiwan Walker because I'm not comfortable with, with a Dievi Garcia, even though he's looked good in, in a big spot. I just wanted to know, I mean, you can answer the question first and then get to this, but like, do you, do you think that Brian Cashman was, was uh, incorrect for not going out and getting a depth piece? I, I definitely think he was incorrect in not adding a starter, but where I think he was incorrect was not necessarily not trading for one, but why is Clark Schmidt making his first start of the season today in a game, no Thanks. less? Yeah. In a game, no less, where if the Yankees lose and the Blue Jays win, the Yankees are the 18th. So this is, yeah. you want to talk about leverage index. This is the most important game of the year because this determines whether or not they're going to Chicago or Minnesota or whether they're going to Tampa. And oh, I don't know if God. you've noticed, but they're not very good against the Rays, who haven't exactly been throwing Cy Young, Sandy Koufax, and Garrett Cole at them in their games this year. So that goes back to my point about having to face other teams' rosters. You know, they haven't seen Chicago, Minnesota, or Cleveland this year. They've seen the Rays ten times and probably wish they hadn't at this point. But, you know, that's why I say I don't, I'd be surprised if the Yankees get out of the divisional round because they can't pitch Cole Tanaka, bullpen it Cole Tanaka in the DS this year against yeah. the Rays. They're going to have to use Hap, Montgomery, Garcia, Schmidt, whoever, like in some capacity. And that's, for a team like the Rays, you know, they have Glass now. They have Charlie Morton when he's healthy. But they're not phased by this. Like, we have, it's like the A's a few years ago where, you know, Bartolo Colon was their number one starter. And the next four were just as good and or bad as Bartolo Colon, depending on how you want to look at it, right? So, to answer that question in a long way, the reason I say I'd be surprised if they get out of the divisional round is because, they're going to play Tampa either right away or next. Because Tampa has also been very good against Toronto. Um, so they're going, to, they're going to play Tampa somehow. And they haven't been good against Tampa. And Tampa knows how to shut them down. And Tampa does everything well with the Yankees. Don't. Now, that said, I think that whoever the third starter is going to be is going to depend on who they play. 
and this this has been brought up on broadcasts before, both both TV and radio. The White Sox are incredible against left-handed pitching. They have not lost a game against a left-handed pitcher this year, a left-handed starting pitcher. Oh, Jesus Christ. To start Jay Happ in game three of a potential series against the White Sox with that in your mind and all those right-handed hitters they have would be absolute, like, just could be an absolute disaster. I'm not saying it will be, but Jay Happ doesn't also have the best postseason track record as Yankees. Your other choice, then, is Davey Garcia, a rookie who, like, you know, has half a dozen starts under his belt. So I'm going to throw out a controversial opinion, and one that I think, I don't know if the Yankees would do this, but it might behoove them to at least think about it. If they win game one, regardless of who they play, maybe they should start someone else other than Tanaka in game two. Mm. Here's, Here's my thought process on this, right? So now Garcia pitched yesterday, so he's not going to be available until Thursday, which is game three. So it can't be Garcia. However, work with me here. On three days rest, he's young. You have a schedule where you're going to play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, have a day off Friday, and then start the division series Monday. You have plenty of time to rest everybody between the end of the wild card series and the division series. You have three days off. If you're up 1-0, why not take a shot with, you know, can you get three innings out of Garcia? Can you get someone like a Loisaga or a Chad Green two or three innings? You know, have Montgomery available in the bullpen for a spot where maybe, you know, if it's the White Sox, maybe where their lefties in the lineup might be. And then if you lose that game, you have Tanaka, who's been one of the best postseason pitchers in baseball for the last seven years, pitching a do-or-die game three as opposed to, Jay Happ, Davey Garcia, or Jordan Montgomery. Now, if you do that, you have Garrett Cole going in game one no matter what. So Garrett Cole is going to pitch game one of the division series. But if you do that, you then have Tanaka available for game two of the division series. So it's not going to affect mm. it's not going to affect the rotation there. And in the division series, I mean, if you're down 0-2 after Cole Tanaka in the division series, well, you know, no matter who's pitching, you're going to need to win three games in a row. So regardless of how the rotation looks, it's, it's going to be dire straight there, right? But if you yeah. do that, if you kind of maybe, you know, okay, it's a throw day. If we can get 50 pitches out of Davey Garcia and then he doesn't have to go again for a week, you know, if you can get, you know, if you don't have to overuse your bullpen because Garrett Cole has a strong performance in game one, maybe you can get two innings out of Chad Green. You know, if you're trying to shut the door, this is going to be the time where you're going to need to use Britton and Chad Britain. Britain and Chapman and Adovino even maybe if you can find the right spot three games in a row because we're going to have three days off after you do. Maybe that might be an optimal strategy if you don't have a number three starter is to save number two for game three just in case. The downside to that is they do that, they win, then you kind of almost have to throw Tanaka in game one because you're going to have a week and a half off. But what's, what's the worst scenario for you? A great postseason pitcher having 10 days off before his first start or being in a one, one tie and having to go with either a pitcher that might get hammered or an unproven choice in a do or die game three on the road. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's funny. I've, I, I've heard that take um, before or something similar to that take. And I kind of poo pooed it. Cause I was like, well, why wouldn't you just want to win the second game outright? You have Tanaka, who, like you said, is one of the better postseason pitchers. If not, I think the best postseason pitcher of the last seven years, I could be wrong about that. Um, but it makes sense, especially when you when you think about 
VALDS. If you plan ahead and you want to think about um, Tanaka starting game two, I guess you're right. It would make sense to right. to use. And you never, yeah, yeah. You never want to plan it. You never want to plan ahead because planning ahead and looking ahead is how you get you get bounced, right? Of course. But if there course, is yeah. ever a time to do that, this might be it. Now saying, listen, our situations are. Go into a do-or-die game three with a lesser pitcher or go into a do-or-die game three with Tanaka. If you're down 0-1, then you're going to need it either way. You might as well throw Tanaka in game two and lose with your best pitcher, so to speak, right? Yeah. But if you're up 1-0, you know, again, yeah, the downside is Tanaka would go 10 days or so between starts, depending on whether he starts game one or two with DS. But, you know, and then, you know, there, that is what it is. But you kind of this is the spot where you kind of have to look ahead and say, what's better for us? Plan for a three-game series and hope you win in two uh, is a better is kind of a better thing than playing for a two-game series and hope you don't play game three. If you know what I mean. To, to answer the question you asked officially, if they yeah. play the White Sox, it's going to be Davey Garcia, I think, with a short leash. If they don't, it's going to be Jay Happ with just as short of a leash because game three, especially three days off, is going to be all hands on deck. But to get yeah. you through a lineup once, maybe one and a half times in that situation. It's going to be Garcia if it's a heavily right-handed lineup, or it's going to be half if it's not. Well, historically, going back to 2016, um, I know Tanaka has had issues. This is this is actually boggles my mind, but he he's had issues on short rest. I know when you when you have or, or excuse me on yeah on short rest, like when when he pitches on uh, you know like four or like four days rest, he's he's been historically he's you know struggled. But when you have had Tanaka on six or more days. Uh, going back to 2016, his ERA is actually sub two, so that might that might actually just play a role. And you know that's an interesting narrative too, because in Japan pitchers pitch once a week, so you know coming over here and adjusting to that schedule is difficult for guys. Um, it's it's that and the change in baseballs. I mean, we've seen Otani, you know, with the torn UCL, Tanaka partially yeah. tore his. It's happened with with pitchers that come over from Japan, um, and you know had some issues. Seven years into seven years into things at this point, like you're now in the major leagues. It's not like the adjustment yeah. to that should be done. But to that point, you know, Tanaka still, when you give him the fresher he is, the better he is, because his arm is fresher and he needs that depth on his splitter and his slider. His fastball is a show me pitch at this point. You know, he needs that depth on his pitches to be successful and the fresher he is, the better chance he has of that. So it is a it is a whole lot to think about, but like I said, I I if I were Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman and Mike Fishman and that analytics crew, if they win game one with Garrett Cole, you know, three innings out of 50 pitches out of Davey Garcia on a throw day and then go to the bullpen might not be a bad idea knowing you have Tanaka behind him. And are yeah. you comfortable with, uh, are you comfortable yeah. with Chapman as well right now? It's a weird season. Again, he, you know, he was on the COVID list and struggled a little bit. Chapman is definitely a creature of routine and needs to pitch more often than not. So if he's in a groove, I'm not worried about him. It's, you know, those outings he comes in after long layoffs, like he needs to pitch today, regardless of what happens, like regardless of what the score is, he needs to pitch Absolutely. Absolutely. because, you know, he's going to have a day off tomorrow. Um, you kind of have to hope game one, <laughs> you know, kind of have to hope you're going to use them. That means that, Cole had a good game and you're in a safe situation and you're winning, but he's, he's one of those creatures of routine where the more rest he gets, the worse he is. Like, I mean, he pitched 
uh, he pitched back-to-back games Thursday, Friday. <clears throat> Before that, he hadn't pitched. Excuse me, he hadn't pitched in a week, um, and he was actually good those two games. And he's he's been like really, 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 really good the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say. But I just feel like you almost want to get him in there today just to get him, you know, so that he doesn't have four days off before you throw them again. Well, some of these closers, I mean, they're, yeah, I was going to say some of these closers are are just adrenaline junkies. You know, they, they need to, I mean, you look at what happened last year with um, Craig Kimbrell, you know, he just, he he needs to be in the ninth. I mean, he didn't do particularly well in the ninth, but I I mean, it was just a weird year because, you know, he didn't pitch for half the year, but I just think, I think Chapman is one of those pitchers that, that is just one of those nutcase closers who just needs like hyper stimulation to to you know perform at his best. I mean, think about it this way, right? He blew the save in that in that makeup game, uh, the Subway Series makeup game. In eight appearances since, he's pitched. I think I want to say eight and two thirds innings or seven and two thirds innings. He's given up one hit and one walk, and I want to say he has nineteen strikeouts in seven and two thirds innings. Think about that. That's twenty four outs. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And he has 19 strikeouts and he's allowed one hit and one walk. That's insane. That's the guy who's in a groove, and that's the guy who you want in there. Regardless of, you know, like you said, I mean, he had five days rest between outings before he went back-to-back earlier this week, but he was still able to hold, you know, still able to be good. That's that's the kind of guy, I mean, you need to ride that hot hand. If, if he's got to pitch three days in a row in the DS or in the wildcard round, this, this is the time to do it. So, um, just a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Um, just quickly, I guess, I mean, what are the Yankees going to do with Gary Sanchez? Because, I mean, he's had an abysmal year, like really bad. Um, it's heartbreaking, honestly. And, it's, and this team is, has relied so heavily on Gary Sanchez. They've thought so highly of him. And I know that he was working with Tanner Swanson. He changed the catching stance. He got better with framing pitches, but got worse with pass balls and wild pitches, I believe. Um, I mean, his average speaks for itself. He, uh, I think at one point, he, in like the middle of the season, he had like 16 hits, and eight of them were home runs. Um, yeah. And now the team, the Yankees, obviously, as you well know, have been talking about it openly to the media, which they haven't really done before in terms of well, we'll see who's playing better when the playoffs come, and that will determine who we start between Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higashioka. And, and honestly, I mean, Kyle Higashioka, as good of a catcher as he is, he's not, you know, as, was nearly as highly talented as, as Gary Sanchez. When you were thinking about Gary Sanchez, you're thinking about one of the greatest offensive catchers who might have ever lived. Um, and obviously that's not really, you know, panning out now. So, I mean, I, I guess a couple things. One, what do you think they're going to do with him moving forward? Is he a diminished asset? obviously, because so many teams were asking about him um, throughout the years in terms of trade deals. The Yankees never made any moves, understandably so. But now, I mean, is his, has his value diminished? Um, and then also, um, <laughs> Nick's been uh, comparing him, saying that, you know, the Yankees will be uh, lucky if he turns out to be a Miguel Sano. I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. I mean, looking at Miguel Sano's staff, I mean, they came in the same year, and they pretty much, you know, they have very similar numbers actually throughout the year. So, I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think the Yankees are going to do with Gary Sanchez? Um, and, and if they do choose to move on from him, I, I think it, it might, maybe it's still a little too soon, even though he's been so bad this year. Um, just because I, I can't even think about how they would transition 
into another, you know, productive catcher. Uh, you don't necessarily need your catcher to be, a, you know, crazy productive offensively. Um, you know, not every catcher is going to be uh, Jorge Posada, but I, I just I don't see they, they've relied on him so heavily over throughout the past five years. I don't I, over the past four years. I don't see a seamless transition to you know Kyle, Kyle uh, Higashioka being your everyday catcher, and it's not like the Yankees are going to go outside JT Romuto. Yeah, no, I think they would, they they would be, they wouldn't be wise to do that. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> you know, Brian, you know, Brian McCann to Gary Sanchez was a transition where, like, you know, that didn't stop them knowing Sanchez was coming eventually to, to sign McCann to five years, and they were able to trade him. Here's the thing with Sanchez: you mentioned that they made him a better catcher at you know framing pitches, but he's gotten worse and everything he's had in the show. I really, honestly believe that Sanchez. This is going to sound weird, but he's focusing so much on his defense that it like his his offense has suffered. And I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, you look at you know, I mean, his numbers are, and this is a wacky season too. So God, God only knows what happened, but you know, yeah. we've seen the uptick in catchers' interferences lately. He's stabbing at balls again. Yeah. You know, maybe he's taking a little bit of that behind the plate and vice versa. Whereas Higashioka and Cole are in a rhythm. You know what? Javi Lopez was one of the best offensive catchers of the 90s and early 2000s, and Greg Maddox threw to Eddie Perez. So if Gary Cole yeah. needs to throw to Kyle Higashioka, so be it. Higashioka hasn't drawn a walk this season, and his OPP is still within 10 points of Sanchez. That's how mm. Sanchez has been as a hitter. Okay? So Sanchez on the bench to come up in a big spot and pop you a home run, maybe in, um, you know, Gio Urshela or Clint Frazier's spot in a game? Sure. Like, we'll, we'll take it for game one and see where we go. I don't think the downgrade from Sanchez to Higashioka offensively is worth enough to put Sanchez behind the plate with Derek Cole, especially in a game like that. You can't have those mistakes. Honestly, what I would do if I were the Yankees is I would look at this and say, all right, you know what? We tried this new wide-legged stance with Sanchez, and it made him, you know, it made him better in one uh, one regard, but it made him worse in a lot more. It's like, yeah. Deciding you're going to go, you know, deciding you're going to go on a keto diet, and then okay, well, you know, I lost weight, but uh, my triglycerides are up, my cholesterol is through the roof, my blood pressure is high, so the weight <laughs> might not be the number that counts, right? And yeah. I, I'm a big guy, so I kind of understand that a little better than most. But you know, you you you've improved in in one area, but you regressed in several others. Where it's like, how important is pitch training? Especially, I mean, did you not watch John Payne the other night? He could have bowled the ball up there, and he would have called a strike on the line, guys. Yeah, it, I know. That was ridiculous. It, that made Angel Hernandez look and go, damn, he's having a bad yeah. game. Nuts. Um, and it spawned savages in the box, too, electric boogaloo. So that's also helpful. But, um, <laughs> you know, the bad umpire. But, you know, back to the point, like, I mean, yeah, okay, he's gotten better at one aspect of the defensive metrics, but, like, he looks like crap behind the plate, and he's hit like crap, and, you know, Listen, I play I play golf badly, um, not as often as I'd like, especially during the pandemic. My shot, if I don't adjust or make proper or whatever, my tee shot just hooks to the right all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I've tried to fix it. I, I can't consistently fix it. So you know what I do is I aim left. And now, you know, with just by doing what works for me as opposed to trying to actually fix what's wrong. 50% of my drives go off, you know, not where I want them instead of eight. Okay. 
that's a that's a pretty good drop for me. And now this is a, a yeah. random analogy, and it's it's a rec golf game versus a major league baseball catcher. But the point still stands. Whereas if he's comfortable doing something, and because the way he does things make him deficient in one area, but then when he tries to fix it, he makes himself deficient in so many more. Is that really worth trying to fix it? Just you know what? You might have to accept the fact that Gary Sanchez is not a great defensive catcher. You know, not everybody needs to be Johnny Bench and Carlton Fisk back there. You know, he does hit 35 home runs. Now, that said, if he goes back to his previous ways next year and he hits 220 with 30 home runs, he's going to get very expensive. He's not going to get a huge raise on arbitration this year because, quite frankly, he sucks. Like, let's, let's face it, his numbers are terrible. And with the way finances are, he's making five million this year, like prorated. Um, <clears throat> so that's whatever, like one point nine million. Yeah. They can't, they can't cut his salary by more than twenty percent. So he's going to make at least four, but six or seven, he's not going to get a huge raise. That's fine for a catcher. Ten to twelve in the last year of arbitration. If you can trade him to a fringe contender or somewhere where they're going to give up a couple of good prospects, I mean, the Mookie Betts trade may not exactly be the most. Uh, the, the most easy comparison to make because that was a salary dump at half. But, you know, if you yeah. can trade him somewhere and get like an MLB-ish ready player like a Verdugo that fits somewhere or a starting pitcher or something like that, I mean, are the Yankees really going to break the bank to re-sign Gary Sanchez in two years? No, I, you, you can't. Be honest. I mean, you know, legacy Yankee and all, I mean, yeah, he hits 30 home runs, but he's a terrible defensive catcher. He hits 230, and Guys up and down the major leagues hit 30 home runs. You know, I don't know if it, I, I don't know if it was in a story I wrote or if it was with you guys last time I was on, where I said that you know last year I, I want to say 35 guys hit 30 or more home runs, and Gary Sanchez had the second worst OBP and worst batting average of the bunch. So yes, he plays a premium position, and yes, he's you know catcher you know catcher that hits 30 home runs is still you know. It's not quite a shortstop who hits thirty home runs anymore. is is a little more a little more common. But if the guy hits thirty home runs, great. But if you can find an, you know an outfielder that hits thirty home runs, or you have seven guys in your lineup that hit thirty home runs, do you really need him to hit thirty home runs too, or would you rather have a guy who hits two seventy and is a good defensive catcher? Like, yeah. I mean, it, it all comes down to to look at it. I, I don't I don't think long term he's he's going to be the guy and. If he struggles again next year and you can find a way to unload that salary and get something decent in return, like Higashioka may not be the answer either, and it would be unwise to sign Real Muto, but Austin Romine's doing okay in Detroit. I mean, you know? yeah. yeah, James God. McCann, you can imagine. Yeah, uh, Tyler Flowers is a free agent. Like, And, and I was going to yeah. say quickly, like Gary, Gary Sanchez, the issue with him is that He's not a good bad ball hitter, but he chases so often and gets himself in these really not hitter friendly counts, but he just doesn't he just doesn't have the wherewithal to self correct. And he is part of a very, you know, uh steady trend of players who come into the league, you know, way better than they were in the eighties and nineties and seventies, where you'd have these guys, they come up with a bunch of holes. A lot of guys come up now polished, but the the flip side of that is the league still can exploit your weaknesses and you know guys like Sanchez who have this issue where they pitchers know if you hit it in his happy zone he's going to destroy the ball so they're like all right well I know I can't you know even if I'm a pitcher that struggles with command I know that I 
I can't do that at all costs. He's going to crush the ball. So let me just throw out of the zone. And, and Sanchez just overwhelmingly obliges. And he's and that's not going to stop happening. Like He's going to need to really make some fundamental changes at the plate if he's going to improve. And that's... That's that's easier said than done. Like guys go to the minor leagues to correct things like that. So, you know, I'm worried. I'm worried about Gary Sanchez. I really am. The issue, the issue with Gary Sanchez is this: to, to kind of just put it into a nutshell, um, he is a top offensive contributor because he plays the position he does. If he was a first baseman, there are, you know, not this year, but there are a dozen first basemen you can get who can hit 230 with 30 home runs. CJ Crone's made a career at it. Um, you know, yep. he's not athletic enough to really play anywhere on the diamond. And, you know, again, DH, you know, okay, he can hit 30 home runs. So can a lot of guys that are also much more versatile defensively and can hit better than 230. I mean, Gary Sanchez's best position is, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. His best is catcher simply because the bat isn't as special as it is anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm totally depressed that, again. That's Thank five you. Does it all, Alejandro. That's um, five does it all. Yeah, I, it, yeah. You know, it's it's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough year. Um, okay, so I guess lastly, and then we can wrap up. I had a question just on, um, and I, 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 Nick will probably push back on me a little bit uh, after I ask this question, but I don't know how you feel. Um, I'm 26 years old, right? At, you know, Nick's 26, Nick's just turned 26 the other day. And, you know, kids our age, not kids, but, you know, young adults our age um, and younger, kind of rare to find us, uh, find baseball fans that are around our age um, these days. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love baseball so much. It's my favorite sport, but I, I said this to Nick a couple weeks ago. I, it's been a little hard to watch some of these games, and I and I don't think it's the fact that there aren't any fans in the stands. The stands actually, I think, it oddly works for baseball. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, it's become a, a game that is so heavily reliant on strikeouts and hitting home runs, and it limits the amount of traffic that ends up on the bases. And traffic on the bases creates more entertainment because there's more action happening in the game. So you you end up sitting through these games, which to me also somehow seem longer. I mean, there was a Yan- there was a Yankee game the other day where they're getting blown out. It was like a four and a half hour game, um, where it's just there's nothing really happening. It's kind of just like whoever comes up to bat trying to hit a home run. Guys are striking out a ton, and it it has for me become somewhat less enjoyable, which is a little bit worrying because I love baseball so much. It's my again, it's my favorite sport. Um, and I love all sports, and, and you know I'm a fan of football, basketball, and not I'm not a fan of hockey, but I'm a fan of the you know three of the four major sports. And again, it's my favorite sport. So I, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird question, but I know that this it's moved in this direction because of analytics. I know that analytics tells you um, you know the best way to score runs. Obviously, the best way to score runs is to hit a home run. But isn't that asking a lot? of players to just go up to the plate every single time and just be like, okay, like, look to hit it out of the park. You know, there's very few, and obviously DJ LeMahieu was a great hitter, and I'm not saying that hitters should be like DJ LeMahieu, but... I'll say hitters should be like DJ LeMahieu. (laughs) (laughs) Teams teams can't shift on DJ. He hits it to all sides of the field. 
And, you know, now with the shifts, obviously the shift is inevitable. It adds strategy, I guess. Um, but it's kind of hard to watch when you have the entire infield move to the right and the guy's going to hit it to the right and then it's an automatic out, you know, and then therefore there's less runs. I don't know. This For me, it, it, it I think it's killed the game a little bit, especially when, when baseball wants to attract younger fans. But then there isn't as much action happening in the game. And on top of that, I mean – I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of going in circles, but you know, I, is there any? Is, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there, there so that you don't have to you don't have to be any more in pain because I agree with you. Um, so okay. I want to make you feel a little better about that, Alessandro. Um, Good. <laughs> listen, you know what? One of one of my favorite people that I've ever worked with, um, you know, alongside whatever is Kevin Kernan, who used to work for the New York Post and now works for Ball9.com. And Kevin is the definition and always has been as long as I've known him of the cranky old man yelling at a cloud. And I love that about Kevin because he doesn't, he does, and I mean that in a good way. I love Kevin. I love how he doesn't pull punches. He says what he thinks, you know, but he has, he's the kind of guy that has built relationships with players and teams over the years that gives you access that you might not necessarily get. He's 100% right in when he says that the game has become over nerdy. Yeah. And here's oh, and I just watched a replay of Darius Slay elbow bending the wrong way, and that's not good for Needle Slay. Yuck. Um, yeah. So, um, listen, there are the game is becoming more analytical. That is true. And advanced metrics, you know, as time and sports science go on, you need to you need to keep up with advanced metrics. You know, batting average alone isn't you know. The thing, the, the problem is a lot of these advanced metrics are more probability than statistic, if that makes sense. So, oh, you know, tonight these guys have an ex woba of 247. Like, okay, super. The guy's throwing a no-hitter. Like, you know, like, there are things that, like, there are times, there are times where the eye test and gut feeling need to be the defining factor rather than the numbers say. And so I wrote I wrote a piece kind of just like, you know, I, I didn't really destroy Brian Cashman and the Yankees stance about the trade deadline, but I did like, I was very hypercritical of it. And what I wrote was, and you guys are going to be way too young to remember this, because I was 10, so you guys were negative four. <laughs> HBO, because I, I, I'm 40, so I'm the, the good old days. HBO, HBO in 1992 um, had an original movie called The Comrades of Summer starring Joe Montana, the inimitable Joe Montana. Yeah. And the premise of the movie was um, Montana was a disgraced major league baseball manager. Um, you know, he had been fired from the Mariners of all teams. Um, he was a disgraced manager who went to Russia to take over. You know, Russia had a burgeoning, it was set in the late 80s, so they had a burgeoning, like, Olympic baseball team. It was the era where the Soviet Union was crashing and all that political stuff going on with it. But long story short, he goes to the Soviet Union to kind of take over their baseball team. And as he's learning how these guys are learning how to play baseball and doing things like that, his assistant coach keeps saying, Man- Manuel says, Manuel says, Manuel says. And he keeps talking about Manuel from Cuba. And Montaigne is thinking, oh, they got somebody from Cuba to come in and whatever. You know, obviously Cuban baseball is, you know, if, if America is number one, Cuba is no worse than number two or three. You know, America, Cuba, Japan are the hotbeds of baseball. So 
So he thinks it's a guy named Manuel from Cuba. It's great, whatever. He finds out it's a book. The guy is yeah. saying Manuel, meaning manual, and it's a book <laughs> on how to play baseball. And he's like, and he goes over, he's like, Manuel is a manual? You don't do that. And he goes into things like, you know, it, it's like trying to read a book on how to win blackjack. And then it's like, well, when you get 14 against the seven, you still got a 50% chance you're going to get an eight or higher. Like, you're still going to bust, right? That is what's going on way too much in baseball for my case, is that, you know, I brought up the stat earlier that the White Sox are 13-0 and against left-handed pitchers this year. But, you know, Jay Happ, they have some kind of ridiculous advanced metric, whereas the Yankees are going to go, well, based on his export cookie crisp wop, uh, <laughs> he's got a 90% chance of, of winning today's game. And then he goes out and he gets up eight runs in two innings and yeah. Boone and Cashman get roasted and they're like, well, you know, we thought, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you didn't think. The math thought. Baseball is not a mathematical equation. Baseball is a game. You know, Trevor Bauer has a 173 ERA. Doesn't mean he's going to give up two runs every nine innings, right? But it's a pretty good indicator that he's going to pitch to a 173 ERA. Short season meeting. DJ LeMahieu is hitting 350. Does that mean he's going to get seven hits every 20 at-bats? Over the course of a season, yes, because that's what his average says. But he can go 0 for 4 two games in a row and then go 7 for his next 7, and he's 500, right? Like, it's yeah. kind of that's kind of how it goes. When you're looking at some of these advanced metrics, well, this guy has a launch angle of this and that. Like, that doesn't take into account that, you know, he had a launch angle of this degrees on a flat slider where he's not going to get this on, on this or that. There's so many variables in these mathematical, like this calculus they're trying to use to quantify things that are qualitative that is leading to this because it's like literally all you're looking for are pitchers who can miss bats and guys who can hit balls over the wall. Hitting, like actual hitting, is a lost art. You know, I, I follow the, I still follow the yes guys on Twitter, and, and Jack Curry and the research guys both mentioned it. The sack bunt that Higashioka drops the other day was the Yankees' only sack bunt this season. Yeah. I know. I heard that when I was. I, I just crazy. tweeted that. I, the, yeah, I just tweeted that that sack bunts have gone down literally every year since the '90s, um, and I think that it, it not only you mentioned Lou, it's a lost art, but I think it's such an untapped advantage because th- they don't happen often enough. So I think there's a lot of third basemen out there that literally cannot defend against the bunt. Like it wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if if some of the the, the third basemen on a lot of these teams wouldn't know what the hell to do with a, with a really well-placed bunt. Like, I, I really believe that at this point. So here's here's one thing that I that I mentioned a lot when I talked about this, and I saw it with my own eyes. Um, when the Cubs came to New York to play a doubleheader against the Yankees five or six years ago when they had a two-game series and it got rained, the first game got rained out. Anthony Rizzo was shifted on in his first three at-bats of the, of the day, right? And he, he made out. The first at bat of the second game of the doubleheader, he was facing Masahiro Tanaka, and he dropped a bunt down the third baseline and he's out for a single. The Yankees didn't shift on him the rest of the game, and Rizzo had only three hits against Masahiro Tanaka that day. What does that tell you? That's Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. This, isn't a, this isn't a backup catcher trying to bunt. This isn't you know a utility infielder who is hitting 200 and knows that you know if he's Probably to strike out anyway, you might as well bunt at a pitch with two strikes and try to move the runners over. This is Anthony Rizzo, an all-star 30 home run first baseman, who said, you know what? 
there's nobody over on the left side of the field. If I can drop a bunt down the third baseline, I'm going to be safe. It's a hit. It doesn't matter. It looks like a line drive in the book. It's a hit. When have you yeah. seen the Yankees even attempt to do something like that in the last? I know. It's crazy. Although I will say, I do, I do want my team using. I do want, you know, the Mets to expand their analytics department. Um, although I yeah. do, like, I think there's a distinction between the effect that stats have had on the game and the fans' perception of stats. Uh, because I do think you're absolutely right when we talk about, like, like how we talk about the game has has changed. Um, but in terms of the things with a, with a large sample sizes things that we can quantify now, I, I think they're absolutely, you know, and I, and I, I know you're not disagreeing, but I just, I just think that a lot of the things that, that we, you know, that like with Garrett Cole, just upping his game, like there's so many things that, that stats have done that, that teams have, have, uh, you know, mined these, these immense resources. Um, and I think that just one last thing, and this is also to your point, uh, I don't remember which GM it was. It might have been AJ Preller, but they said you get a lot more by not being dumb than you do by being smart. So, you know, that's that's just something. Very good quote by AJ Preller, and it's true because there are, like I said, there's a lot of things that are qualitative measures that are want that that analytics and advanced analytics are trying to quantify. And, you know, you just there are some things you just can't. You know, like I don't know what the I don't know what the leverage index was. I don't know what the what the what the ex woba on the pitch was. I don't know what you know his vort was at that point in the season defensively, but I do know that six years ago the other day when Derek Jeter stepped up to the plate in the ninth inning in his final game at Yankee Stadium with Antoine Richardson on second base, that there was a one hundred percent chance that Derek Jeter was getting a walk off hit of some kind. <laughs> right? Sucks. There was one, yeah. there was a one hundred percent chance that Derek Jeter, the master of clutch the master of the team you just can't measure, this, that, and the other thing, there was a 100% chance that Derek Jeter was going to do something magical in that at-bat, right? Because it was just a perfect, the Hollywood ending for the Hollywood player, this and that. What do you think the possibility is that Derek Jeter would have been pinch hit for in one of those situations at this point in time? Like, I mean, like, honestly, like, okay, Jeter did hit, like, 250 that year, but Jeter had his worst season ever that year. Yeah. Wait, wasn't there a cheater coming up in that spot and it was just some other 250 hitter? What do you think the chances are that they would have pinch hit somebody? Probably really good, right? I mean, like, that's the kind of thing. It's like, it doesn't clutch and the eye test doesn't matter. It's, well, the numbers and the matchups and this. And yes, those numbers are there to help you make a decision. And the narrative can go both ways. If you say, you know, the narratives match up here and they don't match up, you look crappy and you're like, well, uh-huh. The numbers told me to do it. And if the numbers match up and you say, well, look, see what happens. It's always going to be the numbers fault either way. So no one ever looks bad. But the thing is, is like, you know, the numbers don't guarantee. DJ LeMahieu hitting 350 doesn't guarantee he's going to get seven hits every 20 at-bats. Doesn't guarantee he's going to get a hit in any at-bats. Doesn't guarantee anything, right? The more you, the more advanced you get and try to add these metrics together, like I hate wins above replacement for that reason because it's a yeah, stat that just adds things together and means nothing. Like, so guys who, guys who are incredible defenders and hit 200 have the same war as guys who hit, you know, 30 home runs but are terrible defenders. It's just weird. But point being, like, the the more advanced and the more technical you try to get with these numbers sometimes, like, you know, okay, like, you know, the third time through the lineup, Garrett Cole gets hit harder. If he's throwing a no-hitter and he has 61 pitches, sure as hell not taking Garrett Cole out in the seventh inning 
because the third time through the lineup they hit him harder. Right? It's not it's not happening like that. You know, yeah. there's less and less of that gut feel. There's more. Well, this is our seventh inning guy, so we have to go to him here. Whereas, look at the teams that have won the World Series in the last years. Andrew Miller was coming. I know Cleveland didn't win the World Series. Andrew Miller was coming in in like the fourth inning in the playoffs because those were those ended up being the highest leverage at bats of the game. If if it's the seventh inning, if there's two outs in the seventh inning and you're up by one run and there's a runner on third and two outs, that is the highest leverage at bat of the game. You can't say, well, Ottavino is my seventh inning guy, so I'm going to throw him out there. And he's kind of a rookie at this point, so he's facing a lefty, but he's my seventh. Like, no, that person needs to be in that game. Like, those those kind of decisions don't happen as often as they used to. And I think a perfect example of that is, I want to say it was Tuesday, the Phillies and Nationals played a doubleheader, and it was um, right around when, like, the, the Phillies were eliminated from possibly winning the division or the Nationals were eliminated from playoff contention or something was going on there. Mm-hmm. The Phillies bullpen game two. They had Aaron Nola start game one, and they bullpen game two. And the first two innings were the perfect example of how the matchups can work for you. Like, they start, Girardi started David Hale. He pitched well. He brought in Adam Morgan in the spot where the Nationals had three lefties stacked. He did well. And then, like, they started doing the matchup game like that, and it just fell apart. The numbers didn't work for them. And it's like, well, there's, there's, there's both sides of the equation right there. It's still a crapshoot no matter what the numbers say. So, you know what? I don't care if a guy has 175-mile-an-hour exit velocity. He has to line drive right at the first baseman, and the guy catches it's now. Whereas a 37-mile-an-hour check swing dribbler bunt down the third baseline against the shift is a base hit. So what does exit velocity tell me? Well, it hits, he hits the ball hard. Great. That and a dollar will get me a cup of coffee. Like, you know, you can tell by the by the simple metrics. Yes, DJ Lane is 350, so this year he's gotten – Seven hits every 20 at-bats. And I say that only because 3.5 hits doesn't happen. But, you know, when he's got an ex-Wolba of 271, well, it's like, well, he still has a not ex-Wolba of 729. So, <laughs> you know, like, that's great, but doesn't really do much for you when, you know, and it doesn't really do much for you when the numbers can be the one that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, it just, it worries me. It worries me because I just think that especially now in today's age where with the internet and everything and all the immediate statistics that we can pull up, like in the blink of an eye, I feel like we all become like prisoners of the moment. And I feel like analytics, you know, analytics has been around for incredibly long, you know, I mean, it's been used, you know, throughout time, but you know, it hasn't been used this heavily uh, for an incredibly long time. And I, I'm interested to see, if teams ever do make the switch back to just adding, you know, not dishing analytics at all. I'm not, I'm not, not advocating that, but there's definitely um, things that you, you should analyze, whatever. I, I just wonder if there's ever going to be a moment where teams go, you know what, like the Dodgers, you know what, relying heavily on analytics, um, whoever it was they took out of the seventh thing of that World Series game and they ended up blowing it, I can't remember who it was, um, you know, relying heavily on analytics like 100% is not going to help me have sustained success. You know, there has to be some form of human element, and it's just better for the game. It's just better It's better to, to bring fans in so they're not just watching these guys who are going up and just constantly worrying about their launch angle and hitting home runs out of the park. I shouldn't be thinking about Tyler Wade hitting a home run. I should be thinking about Tyler Wade 
bunting two runners over when there's a guy on first and second, like he did the other night, which is the first time that they had done that in forever. Or, or was, maybe it was Higashi, but I can't remember. But regardless, I just I, I hope that that happens. I hope that we're not a heavily analytical sport for the remainder of time. Yeah, and I, and I heard, and I don't remember the exact quote, and I don't remember where I heard it, so I'm not going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of, all analytics does is hide how bad of a manager someone actually is. <laughs> yeah, facts. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, you look at old school baseball guys, and, you know, they, they're worked on a team, and then you look at guys, you know, and I'm not saying Aaron Boone fits into this necessarily, because the Yankees have won 250 games in the three years he's been manager yeah. out, of, out of 375, right? But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, like I said, when when you're never wrong and it's always the numbers, like a good manager, a good manager will win his team more games than a bad manager will. You know what I mean? Like, how do I say? Yeah, that? I know what you're saying. A, no, I, I know manager, what you're saying. A good manager won't win as many games as a bad manager will lose. I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a good manager. You know, you're a good manager, and sometimes you have good teams where bad decisions are going to show up more often in the result of games than the right decisions, because you're supposed to make the right decisions. Yeah, well, I, I would also just compare it, right, because uh, my field is marketing, and, like, you'd never use only qualitative or quantitative, you, you know, tools. You wouldn't choose one or the other. And, you know, I, I had the good fortune of, uh, of babysitting for the for the kids. I can't really say the name, but uh, of, a you know, a, a big uh, – chief marketing officer and he was you know i asked him for an interview uh inter- informational interview excuse me and he was like look there's a difference between response rates and email and brand equity right like so in this case statistics would be the response rates from emails and you know the the quantitative or, or excuse me qualitative would be like you know uh, old school managing gut managing which is just as important and it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't judge how much a person loves your company by how many people open the email like you don't open emails you know you 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 read emails perhaps when you're you know going to the bathroom or something like that nobody opens up an email from like jc penny is like wow i opened this email i love jc penny like they're just my favorite company ever you wouldn't i wouldn't look at a response rate and be like wow like we're doing great you know 30% of people open this email so they love jc penny like no you you have focus groups you have surveys you have things like that and so I think in this context, you, you, you just have to say like, all right, look, you know, we, you know, you, you have to use both. I mean, I, I don't I don't think there is any really other way. And I think in today's game, the question is not whether or not, maybe with the exception of a few teams, whether or not people are choosing one or the other. I, I do think most teams have some ratio of both. It's just how far are teams like the Rays going to take it? You know how how you know it, what what's going to be the point where you just have a, a statistician, uh, you know, in, in the in the manager's chair. I think that that's going to be you know interesting, um, and I do and I do think you know with the three true outcomes, you know, the Astros didn't invent this, but they're one of the pioneers of look, we, you know, and Sandy Alderson as well. Like, look, teams who hit home runs and walk more, which is correlated with strikeouts as well, win more. And that's making the game boring, if I'm being honest. So, you know, I, I think it is kind of simple and it's also complicated, um, you know, but, but it, you know, it, you, it's just like everything in life. It's not either or. You've got to use a smart blend of the two, um, you know, all your tools. Right. So, 
Yep, and you know, to, to your point, like, I, I laughed when you mentioned the J.C. Penny thing. Um, you know, I got a survey in the mail the other day from my bank. It's like, we just want a quick two-minute survey of how you felt and this, and I'm like, I went in and I cashed the checks. Like, not it. Not <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. It's like the old Mitch Hedberg routine about, do you want a receipt for your donut? It's like, no, nah, I got the receipt right here. Like, yeah, yeah. Proof I got the donut yeah. in my stomach. Um, right. To your point, like, you know, um, Ford sponsors our, you know, Boomer and Geo studio, like, is, is a big sponsor of our show. If you go buy a Ford because they sponsor Boomer and Geo show, I mean, how many people actually, like, this is not a knock and I feel bad today, but, like, I've never bought, like, oh, man, you know, I really want a Coke because I'm sitting here watching a game and a Coke commercial comes on. Or, you know, I'm driving down 95 and I see a billboard for, uh, you know, um, Ford trucks. Like, oh, man, yeah, I think my next car is going to be Ford. Like, that's, you know, that's not how some of that advertising works. So it, it carries over to the rest of life. Like, sometimes just being there is half the battle. Um, no, 100%. You have to use that blend of what you see versus what you read because, you know, the data changes every day. The variables change every day. You know, no matter what the variables change and said every day, Enrique Wilson still killed Pedro Martinez for God only knows what reason, right? And so, you know, you kind of have to take things like that into account, but you can't just go all 100% one way or the other. And someday, yeah, maybe some teams are like, you know what, we're just going to go based on this and see what happens, and they're going to win, and they're going to be hailed as geniuses when it's like, all you did was go back to the way it was. Yes. All right, last question, and then we'll let you go. Thank you Again, thank you so much for you know taking the time to speak with us. Um, last question. Nick and I have been at each other's throats, um, I guess since it's happened, um, about the Astros and the cheating scandal. And obviously, you don't want to jump the gun. You know, you look at some of the batting averages for certain players, especially for Altuve this season. It's only been 60 games, and you don't want to jump the gun because then next year, if Altuve bats 315 and you're laughing your head off this season about him batting 215, then he turns around and he has a great season next year, you're going to look like an idiot, and you're going to feel even worse if you're a Yankee or a Dodger fan. Um, However, Nick... Uh, continues to relate back to this article that was written by 538 right when um, I think Mike Fires uh, blew the whistle on the Astros where basically the article says that as much as the um, as much as like stealing signs could have helped the Astros it actually more so hurt them no 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 that's not what it was it, it didn't say it more so hurt them I'll, I'll explain just just because it, it it's um, you know the it's a very uh, controversial position I think um, but basically my point was, you know, when you remember back when it first happened, you know, Mike Clevenger came out and said, I'd rather face a pit, uh, a hitter who was on steroids than someone who knew it was coming 100% of the time. Well, that's not that that's not true. Like it, they didn't know it was coming 100% of the time. Uh, it, it the system was was not faulty or was faulty rather it, it was about eight, 60 to 80 percent accurate depending on what you read from the sample size and so in my mind right if i'm like a really good hitter like altuve or springer or, or whoever these guys are um and i and i and i know that it, in the back of my mind like look i'm a really good hitter i don't even know if i need this thing uh it, i think that might play a role in my it, it might kind of mess me up you know ironically and we also know, based on the data from uh, Rob Arthur, 
who who writes for Baseball Prospectus, we know that that when they got it wrong, it it did hurt them. Now, obviously, they won the World Series, and and there's you know we, yeah. there, there's more evidence to suggest that in the aggregate, it probably did help them. My point is, this is a really weird year. We've seen a lot of really great hitters underperform. You know, we've seen Yelich underperform batting under 200. We've seen Matt. I mean, uh, yeah, Matt Olson rather. We've seen um, the uh, Joey Gallo. We've seen a ton of really good hitters just bat below 200. So my really, my only point is, I think that this is data, this is information that we should consider as part of a larger indictment. But in my book, uh, it's not enough data. Like just this year alone, the Astros struggling to me doesn't prove that these guys are, you know, 230, 240 hitters without cheating. I need to see maybe another half or a full season of like a, a not weird year in my mind to solidify the fact that they are just a product of cheating. Uh, and that's really my, I mean, that's really my only point. I, I don't, I'm just saying it's, no, I don't think this year's enough information. And, and I guess I'm just wondering Lou. Yeah. I'm just wondering if, if Lou, like, do, like, do you think this year really truly is, is the nail in the coffin for the Astros in, in you know, in determining how much it helped them. And like, how, I mean, how much do you think the, the sign stealing really made a difference? No, I think, I think to your point, Nick, I think next year will be a bigger, a better barometer because this year is so bizarre. Like you said, Christian Yelich is, is hitting, you know, 200 and Javi Baez is, Javi you know, Baez, yeah. is not performing well. There's a lot of guys who are struggling and a lot of guys who are having good seasons out of nowhere. It's, this is just such an outlier of a year. Oh my God! Third and fifteen, and the Bengals just got forty-five yards on a screen pass. I'm surprised uh, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> so this year is, is such an outlier in so many things that I would say that next year, if Jose Altuve hits two forty, then you might have something there. But I'm going to go back to the, to the blackjack analogy, right? You have fourteen against the seven, and it's just you. You have fourteen against the seven, and it's just you um, playing, right? The book is going to tell you to hit because the dealer can stand with anything higher than a nine. And the percentages of you getting a card seven or lower because of whatever are better or worse, you know, better or worse, whatever. But it's a lot easier to make that better, make that decision if you know what the next card in the deck is. Because if you know it's a queen, then you're going to, you're going to hold because you're going to bust either way. It's a lot easier if you know that the dealer has a five below him because then you know he has 12, so you can sit on 14. And it's yeah. so much easier if you know that the next card is a queen and the dealer has a five, because then you know you're going to win, because he's going to have 12, and he's going to hit, and he's going to have 22, and he's going to bust, right? So that's three different levels of the same situation based on how much you know about the variables in that situation. So now take that back to the Astros, right? Maybe Altuve is a 300 hitter, but a 300 hitter who knows what's coming in some situations might be a 330 hitter, right? Yeah. And it's, it's the old analogy about steroids. Steroids don't make you better. Steroids make you make yourself better in that just going out and putting a needle in your ass three times a day for six months isn't going to make you go out and hit 700-foot home runs if you can't catch up to a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. But what it will do is it will make you, it will make you be able to work out harder and longer and more often so that you get stronger so that you build, you know, it's kind of the catalyst to the reaction as opposed to just the magic potion, right? With the Astros shooting yeah. scandals, 
it is absolutely 1,000% easier to know to hit a baseball if you know what that pitch is to start, that one variable. Because if you're sitting fastball and it's a breaking ball, chances are you're going to be ahead of it. You see it a lot. You see a lot of guys roll over and, you know, they they just kind of pull a dribbler or something like that or they're, they're way ahead and they swing through it. And if they're sitting breaking ball and it's a fastball, the guy looks like he's thrown out an emergency swing. And, you know, there's so many variables there. If you know the guy is throwing a slider, then when you see it kind of at chest level, you know it's going to drop down to your knees. That's where you're going to drop your back head on your swing. So, you know, if you if you ever heard this tagline, it's like BASF doesn't make a lot of the products you buy. It makes a lot of the products you buy better. That's kind of what this scandal could do for the Astros. Is like, I don't think Jose Altuve is a 230 hitter. But if he's yeah. a 300 hitter instead of a 330 hitter, I could absolutely buy that because that extra little push in certain situations, you know what I mean? And then pitchers pitch him differently and so on and so on and so on. Um, so I think next year will be a bit more of a barometer of what exactly is the true talent level of that team. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, uh, Carlos Correa is doing well this year, and I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, you know, Carlos Correa is doing well. That means he wasn't helped by cheating. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't make that argument either. So, you know, just for the sake right. of consistency, right? Like, that's part of it. And then, again, next year, if Carlos Correa hits 300 again and Altuve does hit 230, then maybe you can say, okay, Carlos Correa is actually a better hitter. Better hitter, than yeah. Altuve, but you don't... There's so many variables there with the way this works that you never know. So I would I would wait until we see what happens next year to, to really kind of judge that myself. Yeah. I well, I'll be waiting, and I'll be uh, <laughs> I'll be judging. And listen, if you guys if you guys call me back one year from now and say, look, Lou, you and Nick were wrong and I was right, Alessandro will admit you were right, man. But you know what I mean? Like, Sweet. that's you, again, I can only make the decision based on the information I have, and that's the one I'm going with. That's my analysis. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I do, I, I, I do, not, I do technically agree with you. I mean, I don't think that Jose Altuve is a two thirty hitter. However, if he turns out to be a two thirty here uh, hitter, I will be ecstatic. Uh, I'll, I'll feel. Oh, me too. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, we all agree there. I, I don't see. I don't. I, I don't like. Like, I don't. I wouldn't say that I'm defending the Astros. I don't think that's a fair statement. But I definitely don't like to be in a position to like make an argument that might benefit them either. Like, I, I hate that. I don't, I want, I, I, I would love it if they were all just awful. Like, uh, I don't know. It, it's. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, they're the, they're the biggest nemesis. So when it turns out to be, a, a, you know, when it turns out to be a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain wizard of Oz situation, it makes you feel a lot better about it. Of course, that's, that's yeah. completely defensible. But, um, you know, like I said, this year being such an outlier with everything, I don't know if you can necessarily really come to that conclusion and they're they're humans like i mean can you like i don't i don't know everybody is built differently but like i mean everybody hates them like can you just imagine knowing almost literally every one of your colleagues or peers absolutely despises you does not respect you uh i think you know humans are social creatures and you know i've said this before we understand the psychology of you know i mean just psychology in general is about 500 years behind actual medicine um And so it's, it's true. Like, so if we, you know, it just, I mean, I think that's even more true in baseball. Like we have all these data, data and analytics to prove tangible things. But like when a guy's struggling, we call it the yips. I mean, that's how far behind we are. So I wonder, we can never know, but like, I wonder if some guys are also just, you know, maybe depressed, maybe they're, they can't handle the spotlight in a, in this negative way before they've never dealt with this, these things. Like, 
uh, here we go. So, you know, I mean, uh, some of these these guys have had to, you know, block their Twitter accounts like because and their Instagram accounts. You can't comment on Justin Verlander or Alex Bregman's account anymore because of the the harassment they've gotten, all the trash can emojis. So that, that I mean, that's it, that I think that might that maybe I, I don't know, you know, if that plays a role in this, you know, in their performance. But, you know, we'll see. And that goes, you know, and that's a perfect, that's a perfect full circle for the whole thing we've been talking about here for the last little while, because yeah, we do have to wrap up. Like it's almost analytics. two hours. No, I know. But I mean, just like, just saying with like, just like with analytics and numbers like that, there's a human element to it. Right. Like, you know yeah. what? A three, a 350 hitter with the flu might not be a 350 yeah. hitter. You know, there's yeah. a human element to it. No, that's, that's, that's a good point. Like, and that's, and that's the other thing, like, you know, again, like with Edwin Diaz coming to New York, no analytics could ever you know, anticipate perhaps that might play a role. Like that's why if you're, if you're opting into using a hundred percent analytics or 90% analytics, man, your, your uh, algorithm might be disrupted heavily when a guy just, you know, you know, mentally, I mean, look at Paul George, I mean, in the playoffs, I mean, how do you, we know this guy has the ability to do well and, and he just doesn't, it, it, you know, that's almost more crazy than a guy, you know, like, uh, you know, who does, who rises to the occasion, you know, for a short sample size. So humans are weird, man. You've seen the video of like Oscar Lindblom of the Flyers being reunited with his dog for the first time after being in the bubble, right? I mean, yeah, you know, right. Britain hasn't seen his family in three months. Right. You you never know how things like that are going to weigh on people too. Like you said, there is a huge human element to it that is ignored when you try to quantify qualitative measures. Yeah, no. That's true, and and I do wonder, I do wonder, um, you know how how uh, how on it certain you know teams are. I know like the Astros and Yankees, and I keep saying we have to wrap up, but I just we love talking to you, Lou. We really do. I mean, you're, you know, but so I mean, like you know, like for instance, right, the Yankees and the Astros both implemented this uh, foreign language program where this these are separate years, but like. They were teaching certain players from the Dominican Republic and and really mostly like the Latin countries uh, about analytics. And that was not the issue. But some of the guys uh, this I think this happened with Jason Dominguez. This happened a while ago. with I don't remember the name, but it was it was a player on the the Astros who was from from, you know, a, a country where his family had like food insecurity. Uh, and, and he, you know, was t- having trouble with his wife and things like that. And it's like you know, these are human beings. Like, how can you tell a guy to fix his, you know, his, his launch angle when he's got family problems at home? And so like yeah. that, you know, stats could never tell you that. And so that's, you know, the, like that, people forget these are, these are human beings, you know? So, um, but that, that is a, yeah. You know, I, life, life in general is littered with, with stories of things of people who are struggling more than, you know, Yeah. and you know, again, no number can, you know, I mean, I, you know, WFAN is, you know, WFAN is thriving under, under me. And I'm, I'm very happy about that. Like I'm doing a good job, but you know, there are days where pressure gets to you and things fall through the wayside and things could be better. And, you know, some people can internalize that and say, oh man, I'm, I'm doing good, but I could be better. You know, like some people struggle with things that you just never know about because it's the human element of things, you know, if, if, uh, you know. A guy goes over four and swing looks a little awkward. It's like, oh, you know what? I slept wrong and my shoulder's a little wonky. Like, well, they're not machines. So, you know, like, that's that's just some people's, you know, some people's hamstrings take a month to heal and some people take three. It's, 
there's just such a human element that when you try to quantify qualitative measures, more often than not, you're, you're leading yourself down a dangerous way. Yeah, everyone is built different. I mean, that's just, yeah. Um, all right, well, we do really have to wrap up. I mean, I really, I mean, I, we could talk to you all day, but I don't. I think, uh, you know, we, we're going to have to either make this a two-part episode or, or we're just hoping that, <laughs> like, a listener is just taking a really long subway ride. But, listen, we... we, we yeah right exactly i mean i i also hope uh also if you're listening to this uh thank you for for listening even though you know my my roommates uh are, are very hype about the the football games going on um you know it might be a little distracting but but thank you if you've stayed tuned uh and yeah no i mean so just i think this is the last episode before the playoffs so you know, this is going to be a very, very interesting playoff run for the Yankees. The Mets, unfortunately, are not in it. So, you know, if you're a Mets fan, look, root for the Yankees. Come on, just you know, be be a be a big be a big person. Wow. Let's not be salty. No, I'm I'm a. Are you going to be rooting for the Are you going to be rooting for the Yankees? Yes, I will. I I will because I I I I, do, I respect the hell out of the Blue Jays for what they did in the off season. But I I mean I'm I'm you know I I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to root for the Yankees this year. Uh, I, I used to really like love the Astros and respect what they did, but then I, but then they were cheating. So now that's gone. So, um, yeah, I, I hope as the Yankees a, as do. An old, uh, as an old friend of ours at WFAN used to say, it's Mets fans for Yankees. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> listen, I'll, as long as I'm welcome aboard, I will, I will bandwagon the hell out of Yankees. Cause listen, I love, listen, they've got a lot of players like, I've, you know, I've said this before, like this Yankee team, I respect the hell out of just because they've operated in such a smart way. Like I respect smart teams is why you may not want to let you, you know, as Yankee fans, you don't want to hear this, but like, I respect the hell out of the race because of what they do. Like, you know, so I respect smart teams. And I think the Yankees really, truly are a very smart team, um, you know, and, uh, and hopefully maybe under Cohen we'll start to emulate some of that. Although I don't think we're getting Brian Cashman anytime soon. Let's, let's put those rumors to bed. I don't. Yeah, I think he's got a good gig. I would say, twenty years. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, might might uh, think the you know, think he's happy. You know what, I will say, what I will say, Nick, is this: and I worked for the Yankees, you know, at Yes, and and now I cover all the teams. And, but I've lived in New York my whole life, mostly. And same. I will say this: like, a lot of people have a lot of fun at the Mets expense and the Jets expense too, especially now. But one yeah. thing I have found is that there are very few fan bases in sports that are as passionate about their team despite everything than the Mets fan base. I would rather win no than have passion though. <laughs> like, you're no, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I definitely think that it's just, it's just like, I would rather win than be passionate. Like I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, you know, like I'd rather have like Curtis Granderson said, like they're the real, you know, New Yorkers or Mets fans, whatever. I think it's more just like if your team is bad so much of the time, you start to invest yourself in like, what would I do to change the situation? Like, and I think Knicks fans do that, too. So, um, you know, losing, losing creates losing and Jets fans, too, like losing just creates, I think, just creates the passion, builds character, I guess. Although, I, you know, I would rather, you know, just win. But based on the way James Dolan operates, maybe Steve Cohen buying the Mets will be perfect because then he'll be like, no, the Mets can't sell for more than I could get for the Knicks and maybe he'll actually sell the team. Oh, yeah, yeah. And let's also, like... Oh, my God, don't stop. You're making him happy, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, Knicks fans are... He is, yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that'll I do it for. No, I hope he doesn't donate to the other sports radio station across town now the way he did against uh, Max Rose after he said that. So yeah, you guys can read all about that on WFAN.com, actually. Uh, there you go. James Dolan's proclivities. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know what? I, I, that's that's enough. That's not uh, something for another another episode or another podcast because you know I I think. So uh, how about Adam Gase, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, I guess you gotta call him sick tomorrow because we got a lot. Of- <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, no, being a being a, uh, I don't even, I can't even get into in into the the the, the Knicks and and you know some of that stuff. But um, listen, Lou, it was it was a pleasure as always to have you on. Um, obviously you're welcome back anytime. Um, you know we love to have you on, and um, there's a reason why you know we go two hours when we have you on because there's just so much meaningful and just valuable content. So we we thank you and we appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And anytime you know you know me, anytime uh, anytime you want to talk, uh, you know, feel free. Well, we're gonna take thank you up you on so that. Much, man. Yeah, we really really appreciate it. You're the man, Lou. Thank you, bro. All right, guys. Have a good one. Take care. All right, you too, man. Thank you. That I cannot fall in love, but I guess this voice the stress of falling out of it. Are you you tired of me yet? I'm a little sick right now, but I swear when I'm ready, I will fly us out of it.